We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crazy and the King. Welcome to November. You do this thing with so much like pizzazz now. You got a little, <laughs> you know, you freak it up a little bit. You change the cadence. You change the the staccata. Like, I, I, I actually was going to say, you know, maybe in 2023, we'll switch it around. We'll do Ooh. a little bit of role play, cosplay. We'll dress up. You know, I'll try to do the opening. You do the second half of the, but nah, you got it now. So, <laughs> so we're going to stay with that thing. We're going to keep that going. And you're right. Welcome to November, which means we just came out of National Disability Employment Awareness Month. I like to say employee, but I think officially it's a p- employment, right? Yep. Yep. Officially, but I, I tend to like employee better. Yeah. So Indeem was. It was all the rave last month, and part of that rave was Julie and I got to rock with, well, we rocked in different ways. I was a bit on camera. You were a bit behind the scenes making things happen, but it was magical with Bristol-Myers Squibb, right? Yeah, I mean, an awesome conversation about ableism. It's a term that everyone in 2022 needs to get more comfortable with. It's it's definitely not going away and going to come into more prominence. And BMS, as always, is leading the way with fantastic discussions, kind of pushing at the edges of what people need to know about the community. Maria Towns and her personal story around having a disability and trying to get primary care during mm-hmm. the pandemic was incredible. Dr. Okalami. Yes. Uh, I always say his name the wrong way, but he knows I mean it genuinely. Uh, loved his contribution and the dichotomy of being able and then not, but still being that doctor or position figure yeah. of authority. That was incredible. Tina Marie, um, you know, who spearheads the internal group um, uh, inside of BMS or Bristol Myers Squibb, her sharing around you know, carrying multiple, not one, multiple layers of disability, lay intersectional, like in, infusing it into how she shows up and why all of this work is important. It, 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 were, it were those sharings and so many more that made the hour an incredible experience. And I got to thank you publicly for making the connection, introducing my name to their orbit and their radar. And then to Tina Marie and her entire team over at Bristol Myers Squibb for allowing me to host that incredible conversation. I wish that you all could hear it. Maybe we can get Tina Marie to share a couple of clips, you know, 60 mm-hmm. seconds here, 90 seconds there that we can post on social, you know, that that's, um, I guess, viewable for the general public. Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, I, I, Pretty, pretty fangirl, uh, especially over Dr. O. I uh, get the chance to work with Tina Marie every day, and Bristol Myers really is doing the work um, yeah. and even challenging some of the things that I think and, and prioritize. So, 
Very great. Great, great event. Glad that you could do it. Couldn't think of a voice that I would want to hear more um, when when we're setting the table for such an important conversation as ableism. I love that. You know, after uh, Donald Trump won the election the first time, I put up a Facebook live and said the table is set. And there was a woman in uh, Illinois who's a friend of someone that I went to high school with. Uh, I have to send this picture to you, Julie. This woman is a white woman, older white woman. It was so cute. She went out and actually got a, a shirt and put on the front, the table is set. And she made her take a picture and send it to me. She was like, Torn, we are going to fight to make some things happen. But speaking of tables being set, you shot me a text. And that text had me smiling because you said your conversation to end the month went incredibly well. And I don't know if we can reveal the name of the organization, but hats off to you for going in and dropping beautiful vocal bombs. Yeah, no, I actually, I, I too, that really just killed my month, made me so happy. I got to close um, Indeem with Rite Aid for their their month, uh, brought together their entire team, a fantastic organization asking fantastic questions about how they are valuing people with disabilities that are already in their workplace that are going to come in as customers. Um, and I also got to do a, a fireside chat with West Pharmaceutical um, and got word today that that conversation was so well received that they're going to move forward with pushing up a, a disability ERG. Um, so you know, those conversations are important conversations that we have and we can't take for granted. You and I have talked a lot the last few weeks about like that we're having conversations over and over again. We want to see progress. This is the kind of progress that we're talking about. And it's because we're having those conversations. So it just really kind of lit me up for the rest of the year, for sure. And for anybody out there wondering, let me just put this in perspective. I'm going to brag a little bit. You just give me a little bit of space. You understand you what I'm it. saying? You give me a little bit of space. Bristol Myers Squibb, $22 billion in 2018. Uh, by all accounts, they are certainly in the top 10 ranking of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. Definitely in the top 15. Uh, Rite Aid, ranked number 150 uh, on 2020 Fortune's 500 list of the largest firms in the U.S. by revenue. So I yep. just want you to know that when Julie and I are working, not only are we doing the podcast, but we are actually trusted. And I am underscoring trusted by very large brands here as well as abroad. So when we ask you to ask your HR team, your corporate comms team, your marketing, your employer branding team, when we ask you to consider sponsoring and supporting some of the new segments, things that we want to do, we're asking because we know that other people trust us. They absolutely value our commitment to the space. So with that being said, let's get into some of these folks uh, who uh, have created some news. And one of the pieces that's created news is we still have a whole lot of angst around people wanting or not wanting to return to work. And Chick-fil-A, it don't seem like they're doing a whole bunch of saucing. I know that was kind of corny, 
but <laughs> they're not doing a whole lot of cha-cha-cha up in that joint. Oh. We got some problems uh, behind the uh, line. Of, but, but it's not just Chick-fil-A. You know, it, I'm sorry, not Chick-fil-A. It's not just Chipotle. It's a number of organizations that are struggling. I, I'm curious, why do you think they are struggling? Why do you think these fast food, hospitality, airlines, I mean, why do you think these companies are being challenged with people being interested in showing up for work? Yeah, I, I mean, this is a, a group of workers that I am very passionate about. Um, I was in hospitality. I was in restaurant, uh, whether as a waitress, a bartender, a manager, a cook, a front of the house, whatever. I have done it all in restaurants. It's how I got through college. It's how I paid the bills a lot of times when I was starting out my career with a second job. And I think there's something critically, you know, that we need to understand as Americans. One, is that the rest of the world can kind of take a break from restauranting sometimes, right? Like I'm in Portugal, basically, you know, things are closed between three and five, three and seven. Um, if you want to eat, eat at home. And then people come back and work an evening shift. It's not like kind of that 24-7 demand culture um, where restaurant workers get, I mean, it, it would be no... Um, no unusual thing for me to work, you know, three to four 12 hour days in a row, sometimes 16 hour days in a row when I was working in restaurants. And that's freaking tough, right? And we just don't give people even the opportunity for a break. I mean, obviously the pay is starting to come up and that's really important. But this like on demand culture, I think has kind of broken um the the service industry for a lot of of American workers. And I think that the other thing is that people are I read an article, I think it was the New York Times uh, a couple months ago, that the pandemic has exacerbated our personality traits. So if we were kind of rude to customer service facing folks before, now we're aggressively rude. If we were nice, now we're overly nice. Um, and I think it's just, it's a, it's always a really tough industry to be in customer facing roles. But now when people are so angry and feeling so empowered to act any old way, it's even harder. I mean, I was reading that article you sent over today, 1.7 million open positions in the restaurant industry or in the hospitality industry right now. Yeah. And even with that, you mentioned it, you know, that particular article, it says that many of them, maybe not all, but many of them are being compensated even more. And so what that suggests is that it's not just about raising their wage. It really is mm -hmm. about appreciating them. I've always said it's about recognizing them. It's about saying, listen, I see you working three 12 hour days or shifts in a row. I know that you are, you know, bouncing between trying to get children to childcare or support them after school so that so that they are not latchkey or being sitted by a computer screen, if you will. It's really about our, I guess, our showing up as an empathetic and and aware and present leader. And while we may not be able to alleviate that. Like as the leader, I can't, I can't alleviate the shortages of 
products, materials, supplies. I may not be able to change the fact that you are working those three straight shifts because we are short on staff and everybody's got to put in. But as a leader, I have a responsibility to be aware enough emotionally, situationally, that I take a moment to pause and say, Julie, I appreciate you. Yeah. Like even this right here. We when when we go back and forth on scheduling, as long as we've been scheduling and working with one another, we don't take advantage of the flexibility that the other extends to the uh, recording. We, so I just think that it's really around being better and more intimate leaders. Now, there is also that part for some, Julie, that, you know, they just reevaluate their life. They're like, look, I'm just tired of doing this. And there's nothing you can do about that. You can just simply, you know, wish them well and find out if they got a referral and you keep growing your team. And and I want to see people grow, but I just don't think that this is um, an issue that we are going to be able to, you know, uh, escape or ignore any time over the near future, which takes me into coding boot camps. Like okay. the question becomes, you know, are they helping or are they hurting? You know, and, and so many people over the last decade, you know, we had um, General Assembly, we had um, Flatiron, we had uh lambda we've had um black girls code we've had i mean we've had so many coding boot camps and while they've played an important role some are asking the question are they helping or are they hurting because we still have this incredible shortage for technical talent what what say you i mean do you do you have any experience do you know anyone do you all over at Disability Solutions? Do you ever partner with them? What do you know about that space? Yeah, I I mean, I would say it's fairly limited. We try to make sure that we have partners that are providing, um, you know, those kind of, of trainings for people with disabilities and those kind of things. But I would say, you know, there has to be like another layer. I think that the coding boot camps are probably they're good, but then what's getting getting enacted? Are companies hiring? Are they pulling from that pipeline first? Are they outsourcing? Not outsourcing. Yeah, outsourcing or moving out of country more of those coding jobs as Indian um, coders become much more agile and and able to take on different programming languages and things like that. I think it's really, you know, I think there's just a few different things that that are impacting American coders period that are probably more so impacting um coding boot camp diverse talent, underrepresented talent that that needs to be able to get that opportunity and it may be more about a global market than it is about the camps themselves failing. Yeah, I want to just in 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 uh, in that same vein again, and we're not trying to cast dispersion or minimize the presence of coding boot camps. I think I raise the issue landing on the side of it's not enough, but I'm going to attach it to what I've been saying since 20 I don't know, 14 or 15. This just dropped within the last two or three days that uh, Google uh, is going to begin offering career certificates at every community college 
or continuing education credits at every high school for free. Yeah. Yeah. And we're actually, it is, it's huge. Our parent company, actually, Ability Beyond, is taking advantage of that for some of uh, the job seekers with disabilities that we're supporting getting into jobs. I think it's amazing. Now, see, you just said something that is really, really beautiful. So now what we're saying is you all are going to focus on however you decide to structure it, but you're going to be skilling up people with disabilities because that's the audience that you support and serve. You're going to be skilling them up in the fields of data analytics, IT support, project management, user experience, or UX design, getting them ready for jobs, roles that they can secure in three, six, nine months. And my understanding is that these certificates should net them opportunities that have an average compensation around $60,000. That is... I'm I'm lost for word thinking about last week, our talking about sub-minimum wage and how that was a learning moment for me, something I had never heard about to within a year, many of those individuals, if you listen to this, Julie, if you shared last week's podcast where we talked about sub-minimum wage and the struggles there, and then you share this week's podcast with people in the same dis- disabled community. Mm-hmm. You're talking a year from the moment they listened to that one, they can change the entire trajectory of their life from unemployed yes. to $60,000. Yes. These are game changer kind of conversations for a whole contingent of people. An entire contingent. So I am very, very serious. For those of you who are out there listening, I'm challenging you to get on social media, to get in your community, to get inside of your digital tribes, find hashtags, people that have connections to that community and share it. And if for whatever reason, you don't want to share our pod because you don't like our voice, we cuss too much, I don't know, whatever. If you don't want to share the pod, at least share the fact that Google and a couple of others are putting these certificates out. I know that they're going to be readily available and that within 12 months, somebody, some thousands of somebodies can have an entirely different 2022. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. So uh, let's talk about Calvin Ridley's 2022. Did you see this story yet? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, Calvin Ridley is a prominent, successful wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, um, who announced on Sunday that he is going to be stepping away indefinitely from football to focus on his mental health and his well-being. Um, So kind of just real quick backstory, um, Ridley has been out for two games, didn't travel with the team to London when they played the, the London game this year. And when asked about why he was inactive, um, I think did a really nice job of saying it's none of your fucking business. It's a personal matter, Um, which I think people should take note of that when your employees decide to take time off, just get out the way and let them take time off. It's none of your business while they're taking it, first of all. And and really, um, then this week came back and said, 
you know what, it's been a really tough few weeks and he wants to be away, but he has to recognize that he has to focus on his mental well-being and being the best version of himself. Um, and I thought, A, you know how I am. Good for him. I think it's fantastic. Um, and I automatically kind of said, I wonder how everyone else is reacting. Because as you know, right, when we've had young women who've needed to step away this year, young athletes, young superstars, um, pretty much given a lot of grief um, for taking that time for talking out loud about mental health, whether it was selfishness, shrillness, whatever kind of the adjective was that was demeaning to um, young women who are very capable of deciding how and when to take care of themselves. The reaction for Ridley has been mostly positive, right? We've got Michael Thomas tweeting out, I'm standing in the hole with you. Keep going. You one of them. Um, Alex, this takes a lot of courage. You know, really proud of you for talking about your mental health struggles. Like, do you think that there is a difference, positive or negative, about how when men talk about their mental health versus when women talk? about their mental health and how it's perceived, um, let's say publicly, but then like we can probably translate that to the employer experience. So I want to stay on task and respond to what you've asked me first. And I don't have enough example of that to feel one way or another. I think if I were to kind of guess or put an opinion in there, I'd probably say that people lend to be more favorable to the men when they do it versus the women. But I wanted to go in a different direction, if you don't mind. I wanted to stretch this side of our pod out just a little bit longer. And I want to throw in a bit of an apple to your orange. You're sharing this story from a position of in favor of, positive. Protect your mental health. Yep. No argument. The apple of consideration is, but Kyrie Irving is not receiving the same thing. And for him, it's private that I don't want to reveal whether or not I've taken the vaccine. Um, in some way, stepping away from his team because he's not proven that he's been vaccinated. And many are giving him the business. He's getting the work. For that, you know, you got sports announcers and folks that have publicly derailed him, if you will. You also got other high flying athletes and regular folks like you and I commenting, saying, no, we support you, Kyrie. So let me ask, I'm going to try to connect them. And and if if I'm doing a terrible job of it, just say you're doing a terrible job. But should we weigh them the same? Should we look at the mental health and the vaccine and in sport? Should we, or, or just, as you said, an employer to an employer, if your people need time off, it's none of your business. How do you feel about that? Um, so I think that most medical issues should be private and people should be able to take time away from work, um, time that they've earned to be able to do that. They have protections under FMLA, whatever needs to happen. What I think is different about Kyrie Irving is that this is a public health matter. 
he can, if he's unvaccinated, um, infect his teammates, their children, their spouses, their grandparents, their friends. And, you know, there is a drastic difference between I'm taking care of myself and I refuse to take care of others. And that's how I feel about Kyrie. I, I feel like for the most part, we've had this vaccine for 11 months now, and it's proven to be safe. It's proven to be effective. And it's it's not really about your health that you don't want to get it. It's really about staking a political claim that you don't want to get it. And I feel like it's a lot of selfishness involved because we should be focused on taking care of one another. And there you have it. The last word for <laughs> this side of Crazy and the King. We'll do a quick commercial and we'll be right back. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. So let's talk a bit about progress. Um, because Jay, when I think about and thanks for sharing, I, I really appreciate how you you added your points of of, of definition around the scenario, mental health, vaccine, sport, entertainment, good stuff. Um, when I think about progress, uh, you know, one word that comes to mind for me is advancement, like forward, like further, like better. Well, I just gave you three or four of them. I, when you think <laughs> about progress, just give me a word that comes to mind for you. Change. Change. Mm -hmm. Let's stick with that for just a moment. When you as an employer say you want to bring somebody in to do diversity, equity, inclusion work, most times that means that change is going to happen. And I found a story where this hospital actually fired a DNI hire before he was able to even take his first day on the job because he was pointing out some of the bias and the microaggressions and they didn't like that. And so they were felt like this guy is going to be a bit too disruptive. He's too sensitive. So we'll just rescind our offer and go in a totally different direction. Did you see that story? I did. And guess where it took place? Texas. Texas. <laughs> I was trying not to say it. I was oh, I no was way. trying. I was trying so hard not to say this was yet again and this when I say we are not trying to focus on the good people in Texas, some of them. <laughs> 
It happened in Houston, Texas. So this black chief diversity officer lost the job offer after flagging racial bias. And it goes back to something that I say often and have used as an example. And I don't use it anymore because I've used it for so long. But when you have a real estate agent helping you to relocate a family, that real estate agent has to be sensitive, culturally sensitive. They don't have to be the same color. They just need to have some degree of cultural connection because Mm -hmm. there are certain things a family is going to ask. And if that family is from a different culture, you as a real estate agent should be able to respond to them. And if you don't have the ability or the competency to respond, you need to get the answers. Would you agree with that? Like, would you agree? Wholeheartedly. Yes. yes. So, so what do you think when you read the story? Uh, Well, I I mean, I, it's just, again, I'm going to say it again, dumbfounding. That's going to be my word of, of the month. Um, This guy went through 12, I think I read 12 interviews. He has been a diversity director for more than 20 years. He worked for the American Cancer Society, another hospital, um, Thomas Jefferson University, had his own consulting firm. Like the guy has the cred. Um, And to get offered the job, go through 12 damn interviews. Let's stop that, first of all. And then them decide, well, maybe he really means that we're going to change things. So we're going to have to just say, no, let's not do this. Let's let's go get us a check the box hire who, you know, probably was a DNI manager somewhere and make sure they're the chief because we don't really want someone to come up and do do the big work out of the gate. Someone we can control. Yeah, I'm telling you, when I saw the line about, you know, the real estate agent, because he arrived, you know how you out looking at houses. He actually uh, arrived at the house in a Porsche truck or SUV. And the real estate agent assumed that that was a rental, went back and told the employer that he rented a Porsche vehicle and not, <gasps> let's say, a Buick. Or, I didn't know uh, that. You know, so that was one of the issues. And so the company felt like, oh, well, he's out highfalutin and he's renting expensive vehicles. And it was his own personal vehicle. That was one of the reasons why they rescinded the offers. So not only because he he highlighted some of these infractions and things that the real estate agent said, but they also made a decision based on things that the real estate agent said. They literally took the job offer away, and that was one of the reasons why. Wow. Yeah. Huge fail. Exactly. Way to go, huge, Texas. <laughs> huge, huge fail. And, uh, uh, and and additionally to that, you know, when we talk about change and people expressing themselves, there was a piece uh, in the Wall Street Journal that talked about women are less likely than men to ask for deadline extensions at work. And, and in short, because they don't want to seem incapable. They, want, they don't want to seem like they can't handle their workload. They don't want to seem like they are letting the team down. And I think that this is a, a reason for us to to press pause. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and I think that's I think it's very normal for women. Um, I think it's it happens more often than we think. But I also um, you found a fantastic clip from the Harvard Business Review about black women really talking about the same thing. How do we say no? How do we ask for more time? 
And how do we as leaders and coworkers uh, support women of color in finding good balance and recognizing that they always have to work harder than a white woman would have to for the same recognition? Um, and I think we've got a clip we're going to play from it. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, hosted by Ellen Bailey, the VP of Diversity and Culture over at Harvard Business Publishing. She's in conversation with Octavia Gordima, uh, the author of Prep, Push, and Pivot, uh, an essential career strategies book for underrepresented women, and Laura Morgan Roberts, who's a professor of practice at the University of Virginia, uh, University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. It's a quick one-minute clip. Let's have a listen. It's also challenging for Black women to uh, raise their hands and say, I can't. And part of that is because uh, Black women live by a mantra, as do many other marginalized and impacted workers. Uh, you got to do twice as much to get half as far. Now, organizations first off then can try to address the root cause of the exhaustion. Okay, then we'll get to the support piece. But if we start with the support piece, then we're just going to continue to have this perpetuating cycle, right? So address the root cause of the exhaustion. When it comes to this workload piece, we've talked about two things today. One is just a basic performance and having to work twice as hard, not necessarily getting the plum roles and assignments. Organizations, managers can be helpful in setting up Black women and members of other marginalized and impacted communities, setting them up for success. Help them to have plum assignments that are well-resourced with a high chance of success. Black and female CEOs generally get glass cliff leadership assignments, which means there's a lot at stake and there's a high risk of failure and limited resources and support, um, but yet are expected to knock it out of the park. Awesome. So I think that that's an incredible place for us to to end this segment. You know, the bottom line is we are really trying to encourage women to make sure that they, as we end the last several weeks, you know, five or six weeks here of 2021, start making plans and preparations while we are doing manifestos and Memphis missives and resolutions and all of the other things that are going to make 2022 better. Let's go after that change. Let's go after that going forward. Let's go after progress by making sure that your voice, your confidence is there. If you need an extension, get an extension. You are still a member and a part of the team. So um, I don't have any um, resources that I need to share this week or name drops. Do you? I don't. I don't. We had a great show and enjoyed this conversation. And let's just take it home. So everyone, we will make sure that the links that we mentioned are in the show notes. We might even throw in a couple of few surprise links. But for right now, I close reminding each and every one of you to do a better job of building high performing teams and building better workplaces. Like as you move through the on-site corporate corridors and the virtual corporate corridors, let's protect the women that are in our orbit. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya.
how much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.